This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 215. Lance Baker on hypnotic features and benefits. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Did you feel something move? I just felt something move. Hey, it's Jason Lynette here welcoming Lance Baker to the podcast this week. And Lance is out of Australia, and I've known of him for quite some time now, and especially uh, running in the circles of Bob Burns and a few others as well. And just taking note that here's a person who's out there truly as a worker, someone who is teaching others, but very clearly in the trenches, actually doing the work and really thinking his way through the process and getting some outstanding results and uh, many other in the community taking notice. So it's about time we have Lance Baker here on the program, which you can head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com, where I'm going to link over to Lance's book, over to his website as well. And I know for many of you, this is going to be that first introduction, but really you're going to hear a clear thinking through of how we communicate to the client inside of the process, how it is that we work in the entire ecology of the actual change. And a really cool mindset of coming from a background or really a uh, foundation, as the pun will eventually uh, uh, become clear in this recording, of from a background in sales and how that really influenced the work as a modern day hypnotist to really, as the title of this week's session is, to really focus on those features and the benefits of the change in addition to, of course, doing the work. So, of course, again, head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com to link over to Lance's book and learn more about his outstanding work. And while you're there too, check out hypnoticworkers.com. This is the all-access pass to my hypnosis training library. It's as of now more than 120 hours of content in a growing library of inductions and techniques for change, full client demonstrations, and just really to give you that solid foundation of how to actually go into your process and as one of the testimonials says, to become that Lego hypnotist to take all the pieces and put it all together. Check that out. There's now an all-access pass available over at hypnoticworkers.com. And with that, let's just jump directly into this week's phenomenal conversation. This is session number 215, Lance Baker on Hypnotic Features and Benefits. For me, hypnosis actually found me by accident. I got into energy healing and was working with that and people were just going into trance uh, and I didn't even know that was happening. Uh, just one of the trainers that I'd had that taught me, uh, it was Reiki, the type of energy healing I was doing at that time. She was also a hypnotherapist and she was like, well, you're getting these people into pretty deep trance. You're a good hypnotist. Like, <laughs> well, uh, let me look into that. Uh, and, and I did. And um, as you know, hypnosis started with uh, animal magnetism or mesmerism and evolved from there. And I was doing mesmerism when I've, I've looked up at some couple of hundred year old books and I've been reading them and going, oh, that's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> that does bring about one of those themes that so often, let's say in a training, here's someone coming in. And very often from different you know, professions of here's the person who is a nurse, here's the one who's a teacher. 
and that common discovery of hey, I'm already doing this stuff, but now I can now I can do it on purpose. What were what were some of those takeaways of coming from the energy work that you found to easily translate over to the hypnosis? Uh, the how much your intention just mm-hmm. follows through. Uh, if you're acting with integrity, your job works amazingly. Uh, if you're sitting there and you, you couldn't give a stuff about what you're doing, you're not going to get results. <laughs> Uh, so that carries through quite a lot and, uh, that, that made a lot easier and it, it also helps that whenever I'm doing a traditional sort of hypnosis or the swan, there's still an element of that energy transference that's there. Even if I'm not doing a a mesmeric process that still carries over. So Mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's always an element of the, the energetic side there, I feel. Yeah, I'm curious to chat about that because that's, you know, there, there's some that are very familiar with those communities and some that uh, kind of look at it and let's say it this way, make a judgment even before they know what's going on. How would you define it? How would you introduce it to somebody who's brand new to that? Uh, well, that's that's a tricky question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for in the hypnosis community or as a client or a let's, general Let's go at it from population. both sides of it. Okay. Okay. Uh, from from hypnosis side of thing, as as a practitioner, you've you've got to have a will and a desire for mm. your client. And with mesmerism, that's that's exactly where it stems back to. Uh, Pusica gave a talk years ago about mesmerism. He said it all just boils down to believe and want. You've got to believe and want this change for the person, and it happens. So if you really believe it in your your heart, your mind, your body, whatever wherever you feel your belief sits, that you can get this change for that person, then that actually carries over and an energetic aspect of them picks up on that and matches that with your words and can put into action. And yeah. if you're sitting there having the opposite view, it's, it's, it's not going to buy in on that. What I love about that is, and this is something that we were chatting about before we actually connected here, that, you know, the the conversation of from one school of thought, someone is saying this, from one school of thought, someone is saying something different, and how so often we get down to it, and we're all kind of having the same dialogue. Yeah, uh, a big bit of that, the, the easiest way I could describe that whole process, actually, is when I steal from Anthony Jackwin, in his book, he's got a thing about You've just got to be the hypnotist. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to do hypnosis until you can be the hypnotist. So, until you've got that belief inside that you're going to make that change, you're going to fluff around. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, to- it's that it's that perspective, the old line of you go first, that you've got to go into that and that expectation that I, I phrase something that I've said on here a couple of times, which I can now define in a much better way than what I probably previously said about when I gave myself permission to be weird in the office. Uh, And what I really meant by that was that ability to go, you know, to look at the client and just know we got this, we're going to make this thing happen. And as soon as I was going into that mindset, that was becoming that reality. Uh, Well, I certainly have the weed in my office (laughs) uh, between just hypnosis in general, uh, energy healing, and I work a lot with the swan. I know you've had Mm -hmm. Bob Burns out recently to to teach that, so. Which I perfectly had the flu during that time period, and I missed every bit of it, but I still enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've heard you have him on your show before, so I know you've I cracked enough jokes about avian flu that I I seem to have gotten it while he was here. (laughs) Yeah, so I hear it's good. (laughs) So, yeah, I I don't think I can step into my office and not uh, have an element of I'm going to do something weird today. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, what is it about that process from your perspective? To, and for those that are not too familiar with it, at its, well, I'll have you give us the sort of core system behind it. Behind the swan? Yeah, your, your take on it. My take on it is you're accessing the subconscious or parts of it while the person is fully conscious and awake. So, mm-hmm. my, my first bit is I, I find out the information, what sort of change the client wants, and then I tell them, well, your job now is to do nothing. You just sit there with your hand up like this, and I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And then I, I talk to this other part of them, and it takes control of their hand, which is where it gets weird. <laughs> uh, and people usually either have a shocked look on their face, a nervous giggle, or just don't know what to do uh, while well, I sit there for half hour, an hour and have a conversation with their hand about this problem they're having and uh, and usually get a result. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a story that sort of stands out of, let's say, one of the first times you were putting that style of work into use? Uh, the first time I put it to use was was on my own. I, uh, I just mm-hmm. watched Bob's self-sworn YouTube video. And I sat there and talked to my hand and thought, well, this isn't going to work. I'm not in hypnosis. Uh, and then my hand started moving. I went, nah, no, I, <laughs> I, I've moved that. Uh, and then it started responding to me. And I'm like, well, I know that's the answer. So, of course, that's going to be a yes. Uh, and then I asked something. And I got to know where I was expecting a yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, well, this is interesting. Uh, and they asked the question a slightly different way. And then I got a yes. Uh, and, and I'd realized it was just like an anal part of me that was like, well, no, <laughs> but now you're being specific. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so that really opened my eyes up to, to how intelligent the, the subconscious can be. Like a lot of people put hypnosis down to this thing that, well, somebody just demands this change. And mm-hmm. from my use there on where I went out and I spoke to everybody's hand that I could, I realize it's much more intricate of of how different sometimes the subconscious responses can be, where sometimes you're going to expect a yes and you're going to get a no and you've got to work around some issue for sometimes five minutes, sometimes an hour to get a simple change. And sometimes mm-hmm. you can get a massive change from just one question. And so what would that question often be for you? <laughs> what would that question often be? Well, most of the time I work with anxiety and mm-hmm. it's- it's getting this part inside that's been essentially uh, an overprotective nagging mother <laughs> where yeah. they're constantly tapping them on the shoulder, tapping them on the shoulder, warning them about something. Uh, so, the example I use usually for my clients is you've got this part inside of you that's just telling you to remind you about your jacket before you go outside. So, have you got your jacket? Jason, have you got your jacket? <laughs> Jason, have you got your jacket? Till you just turn around and snap and go, damn it, I've got my friggin' jacket. It's okay. Or- no, it's sunny. I'm going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. middle of summer. Uh, but it doesn't know that you've either got the message or that you're actually going to pay attention. So, it just keeps going, going mm-hmm. and going and going. And most people that sit down in my chair to tell me about their anxiety, they say, look, I know this sounds stupid, but this is what I spend six hours a day thinking about. And so, part of their consciousness gets that it's a, a silly game, uh, but this other part doesn't. And it's just- it's just trying to protect him. It's trying to keep him safe. It's trying to keep him happy. Uh, it just doesn't realize it's doing the complete opposite. So, mm-hmm. that question sometimes is just, can you change your tune and, and keep him happy? Or can you look out for a signal that they've they've got this information? Uh, so, I give a few conscious tools or unconscious tools of different ways to, to access that that I know 
that that part can know it's done its job and it can change it. Yeah, I'm flashing back to it, and I'm not sure if this is when he was on the program, but Stephen Blake with Old Payton to Go, that this may have been when actually I did the training with him, and he told the story of working with somebody with arthritis, and he decided to use the strategy that in conversation, every minute or two, he'd interrupt this person to go, yes, but you have arthritis. Okay, yeah, but you have arthritis. And the person finally, if I remember the story right, goes, why do you keep reminding me of that? And he goes, because you already know that. Why do you have to have the signal constantly? <laughs> that's it. That's a, yeah. that's a fantastic one. <laughs> I love that one. And I've, I've used that around, you know, different issues over the years. But th this place of, again, where here's the, I love that metaphor of the the, the nagging about the sweater as it's very warm here right now. So when you were sort of, what was, was there a career path before the energy healing work that you were doing? Yeah, I was in sales and management. Of I course you were. Yeah. Looking <laughs> up, I was looking after uh, flooring stores. Carpet. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I always ask this question because it's one that people come into this profession, usually not growing up and going, this is what I want to do. But what what was that experience that kind of motivated to move from the floor? I'm trying to find a metaphor to ask this question um, from the foundations of someone's home instead to the foundations of someone's mind. Booyah. We just made that work. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> well, this is an interesting story. Uh, I had a, a long time ago, I had uh, brain surgery uh, mm. by the best guy in, in this side of the world. Uh, and he effed it up. Uh, I woke up from that surgery and I had a migraine and I had that migraine 24-7 for nine and a half years, not a second's reprieve, mm. nothing. Uh, I was just constantly hammering that pain signal. Uh, like your example there, I, I had a voice inside constantly going, you got a migraine, 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 you got a migraine. Mm -hmm. There wasn't the pause of every minute to bring that up. It was nonstop. Uh, and I tried out energy healing, um, and I was of the belief it was going to do nothing. I was laying on this woman's, uh, massage table, my eyes closed. I was imagining pulling money out of my wallet and lighting it on fire. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> this crazy hippie is playing with tarot cards <laughs> in the corner. She's reading a book. This is the biggest scam ever. I want to open my eyes and just catch her out. Uh, but I was desperate, so I was like, "Well, I'm still gonna, I'm gonna do the process. I'm gonna do the process. I'll just lie here." And then I felt something move uh, in my head, and I was like, "Whoa, this!" Uh, I think my original thought was, "Whoa, this witch has done something." <laughs> uh, but I tried that out a couple of times, and then uh, I went along and I learned how to do it myself. And mm -hmm. within a week and a half of playing with energy myself, no more migraine. Yeah, gone. Uh, so that had my attention pretty big. I couldn't turn my attention off this uh, this other mystical side of the world that is uh, energy and hypnosis, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I made that change, uh, and I made it fairly fairly quickly. I think I uh, did a part time for about a year or two, and then full time ever since. Yeah, yeah. And then from the energy work, then bringing in the hypnosis, that, that mindset that you were uh, sort of uh, commended for, you're already doing this, but now let's get you to do it intentionally. What was that route for learning it? Uh, I was inundated with a choice of where I could study uh, mm -hmm. and not knowing what 
anything was. Uh, I didn't know the difference between hypnosis or NLP even. Uh, turns out I'd already had a lot of NLP training during my sales days without it being told to me. I was told I was going to sales training, <laughs> <laughs> but they were just copied NLP trainings. Uh, but yeah, I, I picked one because my cousin had listened to hypnosis audio tracks of this guy and I'd been talking to her about learning hypnosis and she looked up his website and his class was starting on my birthday. And mm. I was like, hey, why not? <laughs> <laughs> birthday present to myself. Uh, so I went along. Uh, and that was a guy who's also been on your podcast, uh, Rick Collingwood. Yeah. Uh, and which was lucky because I also didn't know what mesmerism was. I just knew I was doing hypnosis apparently. And uh, and so he's the only guy in Australia at that time who was teaching mesmerism. Uh so I, I lucked into finding the guy who could say yes, <laughs> uh, this is this is energy side of hypnosis, and uh, was able to to grow that uh, that that gift with a, a person that that understood it and mm-hmm. could point me in the right direction of, of other books to to look into and, and things to try out. Yeah, yeah, and for those that are still kind of on the fence about understanding mesmerism, that you know we we get the history of them and the intention of the work and see some of these demos. But if you had to kind of unpack what that process looks like, how it kind of plays out, how would you do that? Well, in the mesmerism days, there was no talking. Right. Uh, he he played uh, a glass harmonica. Uh, <laughs> that that was that was his introduction of sound. Was uh, yeah, he played music. He had uh, Mozart play in his his gardens while he did healing. Sometimes uh, it was it was all just him waving his hands around. He'd do hand passes of, of running his hands down over somebody's body, not touching them, off the body, and put them into trance that way. Or he'd have, sometimes he'd use a, an iron wand that he'd push that energy through, which makes it sound even weirder and crazier. Uh, he also had these things called uh, the quets that were basically a, a tub that was filled with water and glass and iron filings and stuff like this and had these iron rods coming out of it that people would hold onto and he could just charge that and hypnotize a room at the at once with it without talking uh other aspects of it was yeah hypnotic fascination so i have to ask how much of that is coming into your process as, as you mentioned doing mesmerism if any uh well i don't have the tubs yeah <laughs> uh it would take the up quite a bit of space uh the glass harmonica i don't have uh, oh. i i do i do do a lot of uh group meditations and stuff and sometimes yes. i'll get somebody to come play a crystal ball so maybe i'm i'm on the fence <laughs> too close uh but the the hand passes uh and the gaze and the projecting of energy yes yeah uh, the wand i i haven't got but i uh I've been I've been making an audio book today of mm. a, a really old mesmerism book to to put up for free online on a public domain website, and uh, there, there, I was reading a bit about the ones with that, and I, I did I did pause my process of uh, recording and, and went on a Google hunt to see if you could buy this one. <laughs> <laughs> I need to realize I got to make it myself, so it's 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 going to sit on a too hard basket pile most likely. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I love the, the, you know, we can look at these things and, you know, I tend to mention this for somebody who, let's say, is more advanced in their hypnosis and they're, they've gone through a number of trainings, perhaps they're even out there working professionally. 
And it's that the further we get into this journey, and I'll say this from the most positive sense, the less we need a training to be revolutionary, to instead look at something and go, oh, well, I can take this little component of that. The way that, you know, while I don't do a lot of medical-based work and my focus these days is I'm seeing more business-related clients, you know, here's the aspect of how Stephen Blake was sort of, you know, playfully nagging at the client to drive home the point of what the change is about to be. And that intention of as soon as the work begins that, you know, in my office, it used to be that I'd get up, I'd turn the lights off, I'd turn this light on. And that was the clear scene change to begin the hypnosis. But we can actually facilitate that by focus, by intention, by really shifting the tone of the room. And I think a lot of that goes back to what, what Mesmer was doing. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, it was just that intention and, uh, and the setting that does mm-hmm. does make a huge huge difference yeah uh, so what's that application for you let's say i always talk about the user experience someone is coming into the space to work with you what does that typically look like how does that process typically begin uh a lot of clients get a lot of different experiences but everybody has has the start they come in they sit down uh i get out a notepad and uh they talk to me for about half an hour and they tell me about mm-hmm what's going on, what their issues are, uh, how that's been playing out. And I ask some probing questions usually, uh, sometimes some odd ones because I've got an idea of where it might have stemmed from that I can uh, work with. Uh, And then from there, I decide what approach I'm going to do, whether I'm Mm -hmm. going to do an induction and put them into a trance, uh, whether I'm going to get them to put their arm up like this and do a swan or whether I tell them to, to stand up and go lie down on uh, a massage table and do some energy work. Uh, sometimes I'll mix all of them together as well and, uh, and do energy work while they're just in the chair and I'm doing hypnosis on the swan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes when they're on the, the table, uh, I might tell them to put their arm up please and, and do a swan while I'm, I'm doing energy work or... Uh, if I've got permission first, if I know they're going to drop in a trance, then I might do that hypnotic work as well. And I'd share that's part of why I'd uh, asked you to come onto this program, that I meet a lot of people who will take something that they've learned, and there's no fault to this, and kind of do it exactly, let's say, as prescribed, even though I'm using that word prescribed in the least medical way of doing it. Uh, but what I've noticed about you, and this is, again, part of why we're here having this chat, is this ability to really take the work that's out there, make it your own, and then find the nuances where you're able to sharpen these methods, you're able to get more specific and, you know, not necessarily be there, um, you know, with a, let's go there, Scottish dialect and telling a bunch of jokes and doing magic for my kids as Bob Burns did, (laughs) but to actually make it your own and come up with your nuances of it. So, when you're when you're in that mindset, I'm I'm curious to see from your side of things. Is it something you're intentionally going? How do I make this my own, or does it take instead the shape of this is what it naturally became just by doing it? Probably a bit of both. Uh, sometimes I sit there and I try and make something of my own because if I sit there and I follow the script, mm-hmm. uh, I bore myself to death. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, and it's going to be perfect. I get that that anal anxiety inside that I've got to nail this perfect, and I put way too much pressure on myself. 
but I I like to integrate something. So if I learn something, I'm I'm going to see how I can put in an element of that. So mm-hmm. everything I read, everything I, I go to, I'm hoping there's some little gem I can steal. Uh, and I I'm going to admit I get that a lot from your podcast. I'll they'll, I'll be driving along listening to your podcast, and I'll have to pull over to to write down just a sentence of something I want to make oh. a note of that I'm going to steal. Sometimes it's yours, sometimes it's a guess. Uh, the downside of that is. I haven't always footnoted <laughs> where I've taken what from. Uh, yeah. So, some things, uh, those footnotes are there. Sometimes they're not. Uh, but I adapted enough that I think I've created it uh, myself anyway. <laughs> uh but yeah, uh, I I mix and match everything. Uh, if you read my book that I wrote about the swan, I, I've got a section in there of stuff that I've took from my sales days. Uh, mm-hmm. I do a lot with my therapy where it's it's selling. Um, I'm selling this change to the client and um, using skills that I would have used when I was selling a house of carpet. <laughs> Yeah, and let's well, thank you for the for the mention of the podcast. And there's a quick anecdote that it's like March 2017, and I'm doing a class uh, co-training with Sean Michael Andrews. And uh, part of the backstory of that was that I did one of my original trainings with him uh, back in like 2008, and I demo something, and he goes, "Oh, that's really cool." And I go, "I learned that from you." And he goes, "No, you didn't." And I have to go, and that's a Jason Lynette original. <laughs> <laughs> And, and we find these inspirations where just over time by doing the work, and uh, I prefer modeling excellence rather than stealing, uh, <laughs> let, let's chat about that mindset of sales, because that's something that has popped up, again, very often in my in my classes, that here's a moment where we're not necessarily selling a product to somebody, but they're coming in, and this ability, as I would say, to pre-screen the process uh, to the client to go, well, today we're going to do this. And the moment they go, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Basically, what they're doing is giving us that that hypnotic contract that they're going, that's going to work. Um, when you say selling to the client, yes, they're already in your office. And no, we're not telling, you know, about, you know, a whole bunch of other products. But what, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, what I mean by that is uh, generally with this, I've, I've got either the, the swan set up or I've got an idiomotor response set up within hypnosis. So, I've got mm-hmm. dialogue with uh, the part of their subconscious that's got this issue that needs to be changed. Yeah. Uh, so, that part, they're, they're set on their job. They're, they're, they've been doing this for 20 years. As far as they're concerned, it works. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they, they would have quit and they wouldn't be in my office doing this thing. Uh, so, it's firm. I've got my job done right. So, my job is to take what the conscious person wants and convince that unconscious part of them to be on the same page. Uh, so, part of what I use for, for selling is you're not going to get change unless the benefits of that change outweigh the cost of the mm. change. Uh, so, when I was doing sales, uh, you can be somebody who just sells the features of something yeah. uh, or you can be somebody who just sells off the benefits. Uh, but I go off, off the value. So, I'll use a feature and I'll match a benefit to that person from that and create value out of it. So, somebody wants to, to quit smoking. Well, the quit smoking is the feature. The benefit of that is that they're going to live longer uh, or have more money. But the value of it 
is that they're going to have to they're going to have more quality time with their family. They're going to be able to live to see their grandkid and you can tap into that emotional aspect of what's going to make that change. And usually with that, you can create that sale of getting that part on board to make the change. So if you had to kind of give me the the commentary of that, what would that look like? What would that sound like in the office? Uh, it depends on the problem. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> well, let's go with that. Let's go with that smoking because I, I love what you're saying about features and benefits that even from the sales world, um, you know, you're going to learn self-hypnosis. And I, I, I learned early on that when writing copy for a website, for the back of a business card, for anything promotional, um, and I'll say this in a very loving way, but to develop the most cynical mindset you possibly can about whatever you're writing, because, hey, in the process, I'm going to teach you self-hypnosis and you need to trigger that part of your mind to go, well, so what? And you're going to learn self-hypnosis so you can continue this change and make other improvements in your life long after we've worked together. You know, so now there's actually the reason why of, you know, I'm <laughs> in the process of moving the office this month and here's a technician I was having to come in to hang a TV on the wall. And he goes, oh, you need to have a dedicated server. You need to have this in the air. And I'm going, why? Because it's more powerful than what the Verizon company is going to give you. What does it do? <laughs> and couldn't get around to exactly what this thing was going to create. So I love that example of the smoking person of, you know, so I've got the time, right? If that was the example. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're smoking. The benefits for them at the moment with smoking is mm -hmm. they've got a stress relief most likely. Uh, yeah. My opinion of smokers is they're expert meditators because as soon as, as soon as they get into stress in their life, what do they do? Five-minute meditation break. They go outside, they escape their problem, they focus on their breath, they think about how to solve the problem or just drop the emotional anger that they've got or whatever it was that caused it, put their cigarette out, go back in, deal with it a lot calmer than they had beforehand. Mm -hmm. That's a fantastic tool. Yeah. Except it kills them because they're having a cigarette <laughs> while they're doing it. Uh, so I've, I've got to I've got to make the benefit of this change outweigh that ability to solve problems each time. So mm -hmm. I'll teach them a basic meditation technique of going outside and focusing on their breath and having a mental health break. And I tell them you've got to have the same amount of these mental health breaks as you'd have of the normal cigarettes. But the joyful thing is, instead of it costing you a dollar every time you walk out, it's going to cost you nothing. You're going to save a dollar. Mm -hmm. uh, cigarettes in Australia cost about a dollar each, yeah. roughly. <laughs> uh, the scam now is when I was in high school, people used to sell cigarettes for a dollar to make a huge profit. Yeah. <laughs> the government does that. Uh, but the, the benefit I'm going to sell them, generally that value of, of the money that they can buy their kids better Christmas presents of, well, if you've had 40 cigarettes a day, there's $40 a day you're going to save. So on and so forth, tie it up to roughly how long it is till Christmas, how expensive a present they can buy their child or their grandchild, depending on how old they are. That's a good emotional thing to, to do to make that sale. Most of them, though, I'm going to use the, the ability that, well, your kid is six right now. If you keep this habit up and you keep smoking this, you're going to die before your kid finishes high school. So you're not going to see your, your, your son meet the girl of his dreams. You're not going to see his wedding. You're not going to be able to see your granddaughter. Uh, you're not going to be able to see your grandson that comes after that. You're not going to be able to to be there for the first time your grandson rides a bike and tap into all these emotional things and then flip it back. 
But if you make that choice today to take these meditation breaks instead of these cigarette breaks Mm -hmm. and invest in this simple skill, then you can use this great skill you've learned but take out the negative aspect and then you gain all this stuff. Usually that's enough to to sell that subconscious on it. Sometimes you've got to do extra work because of the, the habit that's built for 40 years of smoking or something like that. Uh, sometimes you've got to reinforce this again and again and again, uh, but sometimes it just works. Well, it's up. great because, you know, it's not just getting the, obviously it's not getting the person just into hypnosis and saying they're going to taste bad. Uh, you're looking at that entire system. You're looking at, you know, the old school concern about, um, oh, it's going to manifest somewhere else even worse because you just take away the behavior. You're working on the system of the individual and here's everything that they're going to create as a result of that. But I love that as the metaphor of the selling. Yeah. I used to use the taste change thing for, for diet and for smoking. And to be honest now, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, like the, I like the change. And the recording's the over. Problem. Thanks for being no. <laughs> I like the, the change to be there for a real reason, not because mm-hmm. it's an inconvenience to keep up this this habit because of this taste, because the subconscious yeah. is going to w- find a workaround because it's going to remember, well, they solve their problems. They, they're they getting stressed out of their kids now. I'm going to change this taste back so that they can start smoking again, so they stop screaming at their kids or so they don't punch their boss in the face or whatever it is <laughs> that's, uh, that's going to happen from them just dumping their stress tool. Like if somebody quits smoking and they don't do something different about it, They've lost this huge tool that they've just had of, of solving stress in their life and they get mm-hmm. stressed right out. And that's why quite often people will put on uh, 20 kilos after they quit smoking uh, because they're stressed out. So, they go to emotional eating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want to create another problem. I want to create a, an easier life. Uh, I want more happiness and more joy, and more love in that person's life regardless of whether they're seeing me for smoking, anxiety, a phobia, whatever. Because uh, once they walk out of there, they're a walking business card for me. Right, yeah. Uh, I, I tell a quick story here that years ago, I had this guy who he called me up and he was a three pack a day smoker, which you don't typically see that often. And, you know, for that quantity, you have to ask, when are you not smoking as opposed to when are you smoking? And the nature of this was it was like late uh, August, early September. So we had a series of hurricanes to deal with in the area. And we ended up having to reschedule twice. So originally, like he calls Monday, he's supposed to come in Wednesday. But now it's three weeks later, just because of storms, the hypnothoughts convention and just timing, we had to start late. And, and by the time he came in, and you'll see where I'm going with this, by the time he came in, he had gone from 60 a day down to five. And I'm like, oh, cool. Well, how'd you do that? And he goes, well, here's my issue. He goes, I went outside and I would mime the cigarettes. I would pretend to smoke. I would do the breathing. And would you believe it? I've actually been doing much better as a result of that. And that's how I've cut it mostly down. He goes, here's the problem, though. And this is why I'm still here. He goes, and he gets up and he acts this out. He goes, here's version one. Um, I'm at work. Hey, guys, I'm going to go outside, have a cigarette. I'll be back in five. Okay, that's that's version one. He goes, here's version two. Hey, guys, I hate all of you, and I don't like that I work here, and because I'm a smoker, I get to go outside and have recess while you have to stay indoors. Be back in five. He goes, somehow the second one is not socially acceptable, so that's what I really need your help with. 
<laughs> we're, we're getting, you know, it's more so that, yes, the back to benefits and features, you know, they want to quit smoking. That's the uh, that's the bullet point. But what's that going to give them? That's what really maps out the process where I, I found if you can sometimes find that little element in your process to say and notice how little we've had to talk about the cigarettes. That really often solidifies that that change, that growth that they've created as a result of the time together. Yeah, uh, I I like how sometimes that change happens without them knowing. It becomes the new normal mm-hmm. uh, that they don't even notice. Like they're coming for their their repeat session to to lock it all in. And yeah, there's that lack of conversation about their smoking or their eating habit or whatever it was because they got this new normal inside. Mm-hmm. Where they haven't even noticed they've had this change till you pointed out. <laughs> How many cigarettes did you have yesterday? Uh, none. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good result from the twenty you had the day before, right? Yeah, yeah, that's actually fantastic. So curious to ask about the process of writing the book that you put out the book on. Uh, sort of w- w- remind me again the title of it. Uh, it's questioning skills for idiomotor response and mm. the swan. Oh, IMR, yeah. I wrote as a title because it was just way too long. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the applications of, you know, idiomotor work, but it, even from there getting into the, the sort of journey of deciding to put that in print. Uh, so what that was, was I I brought Bob out a few times to Australia to, to teach. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I see a lot of the, the students from that class because the, they're either – my hypnosis students or my energy healing students or just people within my community. Uh, and they're like, well, I've got this hand to move and it's working now, but but what do I ask it? Uh, and the same thing was happening with a lot of hypnosis classes I, I'd been to of other people's things that were just teaching inductions and giving people scripts and that's it. Uh, so people were like, well, I've got them into trance uh, and a script doesn't fit this. What do, what do I do to get the change? So I started to just write some things down to, to be able to give them. Uh, and then I had Bob coming out again and he said he wanted to, to switch up the class and do a three-day thing instead of a, a two and have me teach one of the days and for me to do my thing. Uh, so then I had to, to make a workbook for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I didn't have to, but I wanted to because I wanted them to have that thing they can take back and have by their side while they're doing their sessions. Uh, so yeah, I created that uh, and I ended up uh, I added a few things to what was the workbook and put it out on, on Amazon, on the Kindle. Mm-hmm. Uh, just share it with the, the committee. It's, uh, I made it super cheap so anybody can buy it. I've put it up for free a few times as well so that it's it's out there and, and people can do it. I tried not to fluff things out and make it bigger. It's very short. It's concise. I just kept it to, to bullet points to try and make it easy to use while you're in session so that it's mm-hmm. not. Uh, a thing that you've got to read through and through and through to find that section you wanted. It's just simple and basic. Yeah. And I, I love the approach of, again, back to the bullet points of, you know, here are the nuances of that. There are some that have sort of, um, I'd say it this way, a bit of a negative perspective on the idiomotor work. Uh, when, you, when you're referring to that, are you going beyond uh, the applications of, let's say, the swan or getting into finger movements, getting into other idiomotor responses? Uh, generally, I like finger movements, but uh, sometimes I'll take it further. Uh, I've got a, a friend who, who, as a joke, we set up that uh, I can talk to an aspect of her personality and her eyebrow can move for a yes. 
Uh, and so, in the middle of a conversation, I can ask part of a subconscious, well, what do you think? Do you agree? <laughs> and it'll say yes. Uh, and you, she can't move one of her eyebrows on her own, but uh, this part of her subconscious can. And it only moves like half of the eyebrow. It's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but generally, I like to have a yes, a no, a maybe, and an I don't know, so that I've got more of a response of feedback from the part of the subconscious that I'm talking to. Yeah. And are there any steps that you're doing that uh, you're putting in place to sort of guarantee that it's a little bit more of that organic response, that pure response, as opposed to a conscious, you know, moving it? Oh, yes. Yeah, I can. uh I can clearly tell the difference if somebody's playing along uh, mm-hmm. and, and I call them on it straight away and remind them that I said, your job is to do nothing. Yeah. Uh, and within hypnosis, it's a little bit trickier because uh, usually to set it up, you've got to get them to move that finger a few times. Uh, and I find within hypnosis, sometimes it gets a bit more excited and it's, I don't know, it, it, it's not as clear cut as it quite often is when you're doing this one. I find I get more fine-tuned response of a, a finger movement with the swan mm. than I do with an idiomotor. Uh, unless I've done the swan first and then that part knows how to play within hypnosis that it just keeps those same responses. Uh, but yes, occasionally you do get that person who's who's playing along and uh, it's a little bit trickier. Uh, sometimes that happens with little kids. I do a lot of uh, work with kids with eating disorders and stuff like that. And so sometimes I'll use a swan on them um, as an adapted version of Felix Kramarikas' yes. pro- project. And um, yeah, occasionally I'll get a kid, they just don't understand how to do nothing. So they play and they do it. <laughs> and I'm um, like, well, we'll just go back to the, <laughs> the non-hypnosis way. Uh, and then other times I have them where, yeah, it's amazing straight up. Well, it goes back to, and there's a line to this, of course, that I go back to the days of, uh, I began as a stage hypnotist, and maybe there'd be that person up there who was clearly just playing along, and and the way that I would do the show, I'd want to get that person off the stage rather quickly, because one bad apple can kind of ruin the bunch, but at the same time, here's a person who's uh, doing some of those things, and they're getting in, swept up in the experience, at which point, by the time we're into it, they're actually, well, they're actually into it. Um, you know, the, the same as a client who would come in and maybe they're holding on to some preconceived notion as to what is supposed to happen from their side of things when they're going into hypnosis, which again becomes a bit of a self-suggestion, which of course there's a line to this of, you know, to some degrees it's going to be helpful, in some ways it's going to be a, a challenge of the process. But, you know, sort of, I, I don't know if you found this too, that by just kind of training that idiomotor response, that the more we go into it, like I look at um, um, Simpson Protocol with Ness Simpson, where the further into that process, those little finger movements are becoming more muted. And at which point I've seen her do this, that you've got to kind of put your hand on top of theirs so you can actually feel it because the further into that process, the less movement you're visu- visually noticing. Yes, because she's she's going for depth of trance, and uh, it's harder and harder for it to to move the body. Uh, mm. And and I love the Simpson protocol. I've got Inez coming out here in a, a couple of weeks' time to, to teach it again. Uh, so within that, yes, it, it does get harder and harder to see it. I have some people that's the opposite. The deeper they get, the bigger their movements seem to come. Wow. Uh, but that's rare. I've only got a couple of people where that happens but most yeah like you like you say 
the deeper they get, the, the slower it gets. But the more often you've talked to somebody subconscious, the more it's got that ability to, to do more. So the first time they'd, they'd have that process done, it might be minor ones like that, but the next time it'd be a little bit bigger. Yeah. What I love about this is that clearly someone who's there doing the work, really workshopping the process and thinking the way through it and working to constantly improve upon what's there, share what that uh, content would be. Uh, where can people find more about you online? Uh, my website, branchesofhealing.com.au. Uh, they can look me up on Facebook, Lance Baker. Pretty easy to find. I've got a big beard. <laughs> got a weird name. Uh, it's it's usually easy to find me. Uh, I've got some stuff on YouTube, not much. Uh, I've got the book on Amazon. But I'm happy for people to reach out to me and I'll have a chat with them if, if they're curious about different things. I'm always interested in a hypnotic chat. Outstanding. Any, any final thoughts to share with our community? Uh, if you've done something before, try something different. Uh, lots of people keep going to the same kind of hypnosis workshops again and again and again. Uh, my recommendation is, is try something different. Go to a marketing thing that's not hypnosis. Go to a sales training thing so you can learn how to, to sell that change a little bit easier. Go to to a mesmerism thing that's uh, different people that do that. Go learn some sort of energy healing thing. Go learn EFT or something like that. Try something outside of your comfort zone and treat it with an open mind and see what happens. Jason Lynette here once again. And as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, for sharing it on your social media streams. Once again, head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com to link over to Lance's outstanding book to learn more about his work. And while you're there too, check out hypnoticworkers.com. It's the all access pass to my hypnosis training library online. Check that out, hypnoticworkers.com. See you on the inside. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. <laughs>